Welcome to Radius of Reason, episode 10. I'm co-host Andre, joined by my arch nemesis, Levan. How's it going, Levan? Very well. This is the first video episode of Radius of Reason, and we are super excited. We're like two steps away from filming a porno. <laughs> I was uh, So, today we're going to be talking about conspiracy theories, and this is naturally a topic that I think in the past four or five years has, has really been on the top of everybody's minds with QAnon and a lot of the disinformation that was spread during the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, specifically, QAnon has been something I've been personally fascinated by, especially when they talk about, I mean, it's almost like linking together the great American conspiracy theories where like QAnon claims that John F. Kennedy's son is going to come back from the dead and he's going to reemerge in the same spot in Dallas where Kennedy was assassinated. So they gather there with their signs and shit every couple of months, like waiting for him to descend from the heavens. But I mean, aside from that, I think conspiracy theories and conspiracy theorists have been like such a huge element of American political identity that it felt pretty interesting uh, to, to kind of dive into it and, and record an episode around it. And just the other day, I was reading uh, some new information that was kind of not uncovered, but was being passed around regarding the Kennedy assassination, where apparently they interviewed one of like the Marines that was in the same unit as Lee Harvey Oswald, the guy who's accepted as the assassin of Kennedy, I think officially, although, you know, there, there's varying degrees right. of belief in that. But he was saying that Oswald was like a really shitty shot and like he was a really bad marksman. And he was kind of pointing to the fact that there's no way that Oswald could have, you know, hit a moving target from so far away with such a shitty Italian rifle. But it's interesting to see how some of these theories kind of have new life come forward as like details and little pieces of information are uncovered here and there. And I mean, I spend a lot of time, I mean, it sounds kind of crazy, but digging around the Kennedy shit, but it's interesting to think about. Yeah. You're, you're a total whack job. Yeah, for sure. Totally. I mean, we're like, two steps away from being like an Alex Jones fan podcast at this point. And a porn and shooting a porno. Alex Jones porno. <laughs> Hit to pay like a couple million dollars to, to the Sandy Hook families talking about conspiracy. Yeah. Speaking of conspiracy. Speaking of, yeah. Right. So is the JFK conspiracy your favorite? You know, I, I think that's my favorite one from a standpoint of like plausibility. There is enough uncertainty and shady things that happened regarding you know everybody's connections to the cia the fact that jack ruby was there to kill oswald and jack ruby himself died in prison i mean there's enough plausibility to i think some of the questioning that happens but i'm a huge fan of the conspiracy theories where it's like oh yeah you know space doesn't exist hollow earth theory what is the hollow earth theory you it's a theory that the earth is hollow and there's like dinosaurs and shit that live oh. inside the earth well, that's kind of lame no, that's funny. Well, I've seen the... That's hilarious. I thought Hollow Earth theory is that the Nazis live in the Earth. Um, I mean, I'm sure that's a... Because they, they fled the Third Reich and they established like... That's their, where they went. <laughs> that's where they, they went into the Earth. That's why we yeah. can't find them. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, there's, there's a wide range of conspiracies. Obviously, they vary in plausibility. Some have turned out to be true, and we're going to get to all that. Right. Um. But, I mean, just starting off with some of the fun ones, like I said, the Hollow Earth theory, I, I love the ridiculous ones. I used to watch um, also Ancient Aliens on the History Channel. <laughs> on the History Channel, And it was yeah. just the most ridiculous thing, right? Like, right. And, and any archaeological site. They literally went to, I think, every single archaeological site on the planet. They're like, how the fuck do they attack these stones? <laughs> how do they do these carvings? They, they needed, like, alien technology. Uh, I mean, like, it was completely insane. But I'm mostly blown away that a producer at the History Channel was like, "Yeah, you know what? Like, fuck it, screw this George Washington shit. We're gonna, we're, we're gonna, we're gonna watch how the pyramids are made from space." Oh man, I think the History Channel devolved into utter like nonsense long before even Ancient Aliens. But that speaks aired. to something about how we're fascinated by these topics, right? Clearly, the viewership is interested in this. Well, there's, yeah, I mean, those, those wacky ones in particular, yeah, the entertainment value is enormous, but as we're going to dig into conspiracies, we're going to see that there, there is really a, a very deep evolutionary explanation as to why it's so prevalent. Mm -hmm. um, but I think what's kind of 
almost depressing to a certain extent. I feel that we that we like long left the golden age of conspiracy theories where they're actually kind of fun. Where somebody's like, "Yeah, man, like the Nazis are living in the Earth's core," and that's like kind of science fiction and fantasy, and and, and it's entertaining. But now, like, it gets too real. Do you think that has to do with the stability of the time period? Right? I mean, I feel like the mid century wasn't too stable, right? We had two massive world wars, you had the Holocaust, mm. like, I mean, shit was pretty messed up. Maybe it's just because, like, we got stupider. Like, like we're just stupider. Yeah, stupider is a word. Yeah. Less smart. <laughs> As our, like, public infrastructure is degraded and, you know, education's tanking, like, our conspiracy theories have sort of gone out the window with it. But, I mean, now it's not even, like, fun, I guess, to consider them. It's always, like, the vaccines are making us all sterile. Or well, some of it I think is due to the political polarization. That's true, and yeah. the fact that everything has become po- uh, politicized, right? That makes it less fun, right? But I also think that maybe we are living at a time when, not that there is more transparency from the government, but there's more scrutiny to a certain extent, and we've had these like really high-profile instances of elements of the government outright lying to us. That maybe it's informing okay, well, if Iraq WMD was utter crap, and if, yes, indeed, the NSA was spying on us, then maybe vaccines are implanting microchips into our arms that are going to be connecting to 5G towers. Yeah. I mean, those are the logical leaps you have the, to make. The, naturally <laughs> speaking, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and you kind of touched on some of those key elements of a conspiracy, right? Like, there's always some sort of agency behind it, right. a group, yeah. uh, coalitions, right? And they're posing some sort of threat to us, some sort of harm. And it's always done in like secret, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now, like we said, there are some conspiracies that have turned out to be true. So the, it, it's, we're going to try to parse through all this. Um, but maybe first you can touch on um, some of the historical examples that uh, you wanted to discuss. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think it's important for the sake of this conversation is to cycle things back a little bit in the historical context where yes we're very much experiencing a lot of conspiracy theories entering into kind of the popular discourse with QAnon with January 6th and like the elections being stolen but really there's been I think a wealth of history around how conspiracy theories have been floated and how it's kind of triggered mass hysteria to a certain extent I mean you could probably argue like the Salem witch trials were in a, to a certain way, like the QAnon of what was like the 1600s or something like that. But really in the 20th century, I think the best example of it is, is the protocols of the elders of Zion, right? Which is a completely fabricated pamphlet that was published by um, what was then the Russian empire's intelligence service, which was used to, to declare as evidence that there is in fact like a, a global Jewish elite that's trying to, conquer everything and that really sent some of the underlying anti-semitic feelings in europe to to a much higher level and it was used to i think justify a lot of the behaviors and mindsets that came into you know effect in the 1930s in nazi germany but i mean there is you also still think it's responsible for some of the anti-semitism oh today. yeah i mean the jewish conspiracy is like such a common trope and i mean it, it, it's been to a certain extent every hated ethnic or national group has always fallen prey to that kind of thinking. I mean, the Ottomans thought the Armenians were betraying them in the war, so they decided to use that as justification to massacre them. And that's kind of where there's an interesting, I think, philosophical split in like how we can talk about conspiracy conspiracy theories, because you very much have like the institutional conspiracies that are created by governing forces. Again, like the protocol protocols of the elders of Zion. But then you also might have sort of things that kind of emerge from the people and emerge as a, a collective response to, you know, whatever's happening in, in the political culture at the time. Again, the QAnon. But, I mean, a lot of our examples of what we think about as conspiracy theories historically, I think, are very much from this, like, camp of official conspiracies with, with you know, the bombing of the USS Maine to justify the, the war against Spain in the late 19th century and the Spanish-American War. Um, the Red Scare in the after World War II, where McCarthyism took hold, and there was this fear that communism was at every corner in the United States, and and you know civil rights activists were secretly agents of the, of the Soviet Union. 
And then the Gulf of Tonkin incident I also thought of um, in 1964, which was justified to wage war against North Vietnam. So it's nothing new, and it seems like conspiracy theories, at least from my perspective, have been used by official institutions to kind of achieve their ends to a certain extent, where they, they've fed this information to the public to win support for either oppressing a certain ethnic group or waging war or justifying stringent economic policies. And maybe now what we're experiencing is kind of the other side of the spectrum, where conspiracy theories that kind of emerge in the public circle, right, are amplified by social media channels to kind of create sort of a reverse trickle-down effect of how the, the information is spread. But yeah, I mean, you touched on an important thing where our institutions have really let us down, and there's a history of this, right? And so now, when it is crucial to rely on institutions, which do have the advantage of obviously greater resources, right. et cetera, like now we don't trust them. And that's kind of fed into, you know, what we saw a lot with the, with the conspiracies uh, during the COVID pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, so let's, let's kind of touch on some of the reasoning behind conspiracies. And, and like we said, there is a sort of distrust of institutions. There's a distrust of established or authoritative sources, mm -hmm. experts in particular. Um, and l let's dissect this for a second, right? Because... When we think about like what an expert is, what a PhD in a certain topic is, I mean, they have spent literally like a huge chunk. If they're a young, even if they're a young PhD, they spend a huge chunk of their life studying this topic. A few Google searches doesn't make you an expert, right? But the level of arrogance <laughs> that people possess uh, just simply has no bounds. And so people to an astonishing degree, feel very confident going against, uh, let's say, scientific consensus. So not a single expert, but like thousands of years of combined lifetime experience on a certain subject. That's really crazy, in my opinion. That's not to say experts are always right, because clearly they have been wrong before. Uh, <laughs> many times even once the or twice yeah. the scientific process isn't perfect academia isn't perfect people are always going to be flawed mm -hmm. but as a general rule of thumb an expert is going to be or a, cons a scientific consensus you know i'm going to bet on that more than a random dude who's done some googling even if he's done a year straight of just non-stop googling that still doesn't put you on the same level Right. No, absolutely. And most people not. aren't doing that, right? Most people aren't, and some of the people that do end up probably changing their views and realizing they're bat they were batshit crazy. Um, I used to disbelieve in evolution, <laughs> and after doing some research, I realized I was completely wrong. But like after doing some googling, yeah, I thought it was a conspiracy, right? Evolution. Uh, oh Jesus! But no, let me. So let me give you an example, though. A few years ago. Uh, I went to the doctor because I was getting sick like way too frequently. And I was talking to him and I was explaining like, hey, I recently made some dietary changes and I was trying to explain some of these things. And he just stopped me. He just like literally cut me off. He's like, no, that has no bearing on this issue. And that was the last time I saw him. But the idea that my diet has no bearing on my immune function is I don't need to be an expert, to know that's batshit crazy. Sounds like exactly. you're questioning an expert. But there are cases where you're just like, mm, I don't know, like this, this sounds so intuitively wrong. Um, so I'm not saying we should blindly follow experts, but there is something to acknowledge here when it comes to the, the general level of, uh, level of expertise that they possess. Because let's look at another example when it comes to, say, doctors. Um, let's say uh, you're having issues with your heart. You go to the doctor. You go to 100 doctors. And 99 tell you you need heart surgery by the end of the month if you want to live. And one says, no, no, you, you'll, you'll be fine. Like, who are you going to listen to? You're, you're probably not going to, like, listen to your own research Especially when you have now this data that 99 out of 100 doctors tell you, you need heart surgery. You would be fucking stupid to ignore that advice. Is it logically possible that that one doctor that says you don't need heart surgery is correct? Yes, it is logically possible. 
Will you bet on that? I mean, would any sane person, should any sane person bet on that? Of course not. Right. But oftentimes, I think individuals at maximum get maybe one or two opinions. I mean, I don't think the majority of people can afford to get second opinions on things. And I think that what you're saying is very valid and that somebody that holds a certain degree, maybe especially in the sciences, is it's assumed that maybe they have dedicated X amount of time to rigorous study, but I think we both know that's complete horseshit, having also gone through the university system and knowing how universities work. I do think that we have in this country and maybe globally speaking, we've kind of reverted to almost a worship of credentials where there is an assumed competency. And I think this is less so in the the hard sciences, maybe more from the humanities standpoint, but there is an assumption that if somebody has a pedigree of like diplomas and like LinkedIn statuses and whatnot, that inherently makes them an expert on something, right? That makes them a competent force to talk about topic X, Y, or Z, or even participate in a decision-making process around something. But we've seen that in our lifetimes in the United States devolve into absolutely destructive policy. And I think a lot of the kind of aversion towards credentialism to a certain extent comes from the actual failure of our experts. You know, think about it from a standpoint of economic policy, right? NAFTA was sold by economists as this great thing that was going to bring increased prosperity and economic liberties to the North American continent. And yeah, we have access to crappy, cheap plastic goods now, but objectively speaking, it ruined a lot of people's lives and livelihoods. But we were also told to blindly follow the experts and trust the credentials. And that's what happened. And objectively speaking, people were fucked up and fucked over by it, right? The same thing goes for the national security aspects of of how our country's behaved in recent history, where there was kind of, and we still very much have this like fawning veneration of generals and we have them on our talk shows and you know you always have some like slimy ex-CIA director getting a, a, a spot on CNN or MSNBC and it's like yes listen to this person they know because they are an expert right and then we get 2003 the Iraq invasion absolute destabilization of the Middle East and here we are sure I, but I think there's a distinction that has to be made between say hard sciences and more credible sciences and things like economics that are really in their infancy. And when it, when it comes to like social sciences in general, right. Right. And and we've seen that with the replication crisis where it was what 60% of the studies failed to replicate. Now there's more nuances to this. um, But in general, like those fields, I think are actually just, it's, it's much more difficult to be certain in mm-hmm. those fields than it is, say, in physics. Um, but, you know, something like virology and immunology is still, I think, you know, you're, you're much better off following the consensus than forming your own wild opinions about vaccine <laughs> safety. Like, that's, that's my take. Um, the other point that I want to make is... You're right to to point out that an individual expert, even one that has, you know, that doesn't just have the credential, that is really well informed on the matter that is like even Nobel Prize winning worthy type. One individual can always be mistaken. Right. But we have to look at the scientific consensus. Right. And to me, that's the most important thing. If the scientific consensus says evolution is true and a bunch of religious people are saying, no, God created the world in 6,000 6, years ago. He created Adam and Eve directly. Like, why? look, none of us have gone out and, and dug up fossils and made the connections between the different species and, and whatnot. We haven't, we haven't done that ourselves. I, th- but, I think that there is, you know, you're, you're definitely right in the value of scientific consensus to bring about maybe a level of stability in the faith that we place in our experts. But this is, I think, where we've sort of arrived in our economic evolution, where even to a certain extent, scientific consensus might be permeated by a who's funding these things, right? Where you have like Coca-Cola or whatever soda manufacturer sponsoring studies from medical experts to say that 
oh, you know, X amount of sugar is not, in fact, you know, bad for you or whatnot. And I think that's where maybe we'll get to a little bit later, but where the really like conspiracy theory manifestations from the people has really started coming forward is we're not even sure what is indeed an impartial expert opinion, quote unquote, versus sponsored content that is, that is delivered to sway opinion or encourage certain behaviors because it's inevitably going to be profitable for entity X. No, you're spot on. I mean, there, there, there are a lot of bad incentives, right? Even in the scientific field. One second. What happened? No. Oh, it overheated. What? It overheated? Yeah. Fuck me. The camera, ladies and gentlemen, we're not going to edit this out. The camera has overheated. So the first episode of Radius of Reason, well, it's, uh, the video will be incomplete unless Andre can, uh, Pull something out of his ass here and fix this. Wow. Uh, do we do we stop stop the audio and come back to it after it's cooled off? What are we doing? All right, everybody, we are back uh, with radius of reason. Uh, a bit of a technical glitch, but we have uh, an iPhone. That has come to the rescue. So what were we talking about? So I, I think that we were getting to the point of coming to consensus that, yes, there are some occasional, probably actually pretty frequent negative incentives when it comes to expert opinion and what actually constitutes as an expert opinion. But really, to a certain extent, it, it's the best we have, because otherwise any form of kind of collective expertise is going to be a free for all with everybody drawing their own conclusions. And, you know, somebody thinks that COVID vaccines actually use like fetus samples in there and then it's going to get proliferated and we're not going to have any sort of hope to stabilize and maybe move forward as a civilization. Um, I, I think that really conspiracy theories like, I think like anything else, it, they're, they're a way to illustrate how we observe our world and what lens we're choosing to see our collective experience through. And it, it tells a greater story about maybe it's not so much that space doesn't exist, but maybe it showcases what is being questioned uh, in our society, so to speak, right? Why is it that people are choosing to think that space doesn't exist or the moon landing was fake? Like, what is at the core of that belief system? I mean, what's the psychological sort of impetus for somebody to, to <laughs> choose to believe that there are Nazis living under the surface of the we, earth? We are going to get to all that good stuff very soon when we start talking about the evolutionary explanation behind this. But let's just kind of try to wrap up this, this segment on, on the fallacious reasoning, I think that's behind some of the conspiratorial thought. So one, one principle I want to mention is, uh, is Occam's razor. And it's this philosophical principle that basically says we should prefer the simpler explanation, uh, over competing explanations, which have like extraneous assumptions. Um, and when you think about conspiracies like Bill Gates, you know, putting a microchip in the vaccines that are going to be administered, <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, just on its face, I mean, the amount of additional assumptions is quite insane. And this also ties into, like, the psychological and the sociological limitations of a mass conspiracy. Right. Where yeah. how many people have to be involved? Yeah. How many people are going to keep their mouths shut? Like, why aren't more people, like, why aren't people coming out and, like, admitting to, you know, X, right? I mean, it it, it seems to me given the incentive that one would have to come out with this information, given what we know psychologically about mm -hmm. people uh, and also what potentially could be monetary gain. Why, why doesn't this happen? 
and and there's no there's no answer for the conspiracist right oh well it's not all into they'll come up with some sort of excuse about how only a few people have to be in on it and they just kind of like guide or sway others to do it and there's also kind of an assumed competency right is that not only are these kind of shadowy entities so adept at keeping a secret and maintaining and running like a giant network of secret keepers themselves but they also like know exactly what the hell they're doing like they're they're they're, yeah i mean you're almost attaching like a godlike will and level of expertise to these like shadowy cabals on the other hand though I think with like the Jeffrey Epstein stuff, one of the reasons it's such like a darkly fascinating thing to me is that you actually do have like evidence of massive, not massive, but a significant size of of a social group covering for one another. Right. And that's why there's such like a hyper fixation, I think, on Epstein's like ultimate end. This whole idea of did he commit suicide? Was he killed? I mean there's clearly yeah, something so else going on, on here yeah on some level that you know that provides a nice counter example to what i was saying but at the same time like people have come out yes right yeah. so like it, it also proves right. my it also proves my point um so now let's try to focus on the evolutionary explanation behind this and you know i have my take uh kind of the armchair evolutionary <laughs> psychology take and then there's like actual there, there's an actual study that i found on the evolutionary origins of conspiracy, con- conspiracy, uh, conspiratorial thinking. Um, and it was really fascinating. And I kind of want to il- illustrate the difference between my speculation and, and what actual science looks like. Um, so l- let me just start out uh, kind of with what I would have thought before really digging into that research. Um, humans have this innate desire to make sense of the world and the question is like why and so if we go back to an ancestral setting a small tribe uh, we can see that possessing novel information is incredibly useful right this can enhance your status you're more useful to the tribe it might lead to more uh, acquisition of more resources and maybe even mating opportunities Mm -hmm. so conspiratorial thought kind of can be that novel piece of information right Um, But then really you have to combine this with a sort of coherent seeking that the brain does, right? Mm -hmm. We always have limited information and what the brain seems to want to do is fill in the gaps. Right. And especially when we're fearful or we don't like someone or Or some group. stable. Yeah. Or it's an unstable situation. We start to fill in the gaps with things that are going to make sense of uh, of, of the world for us in ways that might be completely false but they give us some sort of like comfort in simply having like an idea right simply filling in those gaps and then there's a uh, you know humans are loss averse um and the best illustration of this was in uh, daniel kahneman's book thinking fast and slow and a good example of this is like you know you have two scenarios where you gain uh, or sorry a hundred dollars is taken away from you or you lose an opportunity to gain $100. And people feel much worse about losing the $100 than losing the opportunity to gain $100, even though from a monetary standpoint, you know, you're, 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 you're down $100, right? You, you've lost out on $100. So there's this, when you combine this loss aversion, which seeps into other aspects uh, of, of kind of... Um, human thought or ways of human thinking because in a evolutionary environment where there's predators and there's all these different threats um loss like focusing on the losses is actually more logical that ties into this idea of like the smoke detector principle where it's better to have all these false alarms than get it wrong Mm -hmm. you know once where you're walking in a forest uh and there's a sound right and if you assume it's a jaguar, that's probably good. And you run away, like, even if it's not, even if it was just a branch that fell down, that's going to lead to better survival across, you know, uh, many individuals uh, or millions of years of, of human existence than someone who's kind of objectively analyzing the scenarios. Like, well, the probability of 
that being a Jaguar is, you know, X, Y, and Z, whatever. Right. That's uh, evolution doesn't care about an objective understanding of the world. Now, yeah, having some sort of accurate beliefs is important that can lead to obviously uh, reproductive utility, etc. But it doesn't care about being like objectively right all the time. And it only cares about what's going to maximize your survival and reproduction. And if that means you're going to have some delusions, if that means you're going to have certain biases, you know, toward loss aversion, then that's what happens. And it's, and it's, it's very logical when you think about it. And that's exactly what we find uh, in human nature, right? Um, so that was kind of my take on why conspiratorial thinking could exist from an evolutionary standpoint. But this study that I read was really, really good. And I don't think I can summarize it better than just by laying out some snippets directly from, um, from that study. So conspiracy theories and supernatural beliefs are positively correlated. That's a reoccurring theme. Um, when you, when you look at some of these tribes that we're going to talk about in a little bit, but when you look at the type of people that tend to believe in conspiracies in modern day life, uh, and, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of is what it is there. So finding patterns that are in fact illusory lead to all kinds of seemingly irrational beliefs. For instance, paranormal beliefs are associated with a decreased ability to recognize randomness. Mm. So if you're ascribing agency instead of recognizing that it could have easily been a random event, that's going to make you more potentially conspiratorial minded. Um, conspiracism... Uh, so, so like one of the main possibilities that the study considers is that conspiracism could be a byproduct of psychological mechanisms. Mm -hmm. and, and so uh, this would be a non-adaptive non consequence. So again, a byproduct of the biases like the loss aversion that we talked about in the evolved cognitive capacity for pattern perception. So when establishing the causes of events, people have a tendency to detect agency, which may sometimes be accurate and sometimes not. Hyperactive agency detection may facilitate conspiracy thinking as a non-functional consequence. Human beings have evolved to be vigilant toward all kinds of threats, and conspiracy theories may be a byproduct of this threat management system. And people evolved an alliance detection system to quickly recognize coalitions of mutually cooperating individuals. Cues suggesting that people cooperate with one another uh, tend to override many other salient perceptual cues that are frequently that frequently form the basis for social categorizations. So that's that was kind of like one uh, theory that it was the psychological me uh, mechanisms um, produced a byproduct of conspiratorial thinking. The other one argues kind of that it was actually something that was selected for right that conspiracism is an actual adaptation or the tendency toward conspiracism. So it was adaptive in the ancestral environment, but it is not necessarily adaptive today. So that's just a, a, just a little disclaimer there. Like, okay, they're saying in that ancestral environment, it, it could have been useful. In the modern day environment, I think it's starting to become clear and as we saw with the COVID pandemic, that it's probably not as useful as it was in the ancestral environment. So looking at like some of the anthropo anthropological evidence, uh, they say conspiracies are a universal cultural phenomenon and they were present before the advent of the Internet. Obviously, anthropologists have observed conspiracy theories among current hunter-gatherers, ga hunter <laughs> such as the Yanomomo the uh, the tribe in, in oh. the Amazon rainforest. <laughs> um, and, you know, like, here's a conspiracy they had. Allegations that a different tribe committed sorcery to harm their tribe. And this goes along with that earlier point about pairing conspiratorial thought with supernatural elements, right? Um, coalitional killings were common among hunter-gatherer societies, which implies conspiracies against rival coalitions could have been adaptive. An example of this 
is the Waroni people of Ecuador, where they have rates of up to 64% of all the deaths within, a, within their total population. Uh, they were ascribed to coalitionary killings. Conspiracy theories are triggered by the presence of powerful outgroups in combination with a strong in-group identity. So, you know, touching on the tribalism that we bring up in literally every fucking episode. Um, and then uh, conspiracy, um, sorry, threatening societal circumstances such as floods or famines or maybe a, a COVID pandemic <laughs> increase the likelihood of intergroup conflict. In the face of collective threats, natural disasters, economic crises, and the like, conspiracy theories will flourish as these theories help citizens make help citizens to make sense of such events by blaming them on the deliberate actions of enemy groups. Again, you know, look at the COVID pandemic. So kind of the conclusion is, you know, they ask like the core question is whether the suspicious feelings about other groups that are at the root of conspiracy beliefs may have provided early humans a selection advantage. Given the realistic dangers of hostile coalitions in an ancestral environment, along with the life-saving functionality of detecting conspiracies before they strike, conspiracy beliefs are likely to have been adaptive among ancient hunter-gatherers. So what do you have to say about all of that beautiful logic? Well, I think it establishes a really nice kind of hierarchy of relationships in the conspiracy theory, right? There's always the, the in-group and the out-group. The out-group is normally the ones that are being impacted by some sort of adverse event. So if you look at you know, the, the COVID pandemic, right? Everybody was suffering. We were locked down. People were dying. We were the out-group, but then in the conspiratorial culture around it, there, there is definitely a group that is benefiting from it. It kind of adapts a line of thinking to like the original maxim of like political science who benefits. And that's a pretty interesting kind of dichotomy that this literature establishes because it sort of formalizes the relationship between the, the victim and maybe the aggressor in this certain circumstance. And that the victims historically have survived by questioning and, and treating everything with disbelief. And to a certain extent, they found a level of camaraderie with one another in their collective disbelief of something that's being done to them. And I think that's a very important thing to think about, just like many other things in you know, our fight and flight mechanisms that might be overly... Um, maybe overly sensitive in a modern environment, which is inhibiting us from living in like a corporate existence, right? Cause we're anxious about things and we want to get out. We want to flee. We, we feel like we need to lash out at people. And maybe this is like a, an evolutionary concept that we just haven't adapted out of. And we're still doing the things we had to do millennia ago to survive as a species. But now it's being translated to like exactly. internet memes and things like that. No, but it's, it's a very clear I think the dichotomy of the relationships of the various parties of the conspiracy theory, that's a very important point of emphasis is that there's always somebody benefiting at the cost of somebody else and you're spinning trying to figure out what's going on. And I think that's why in our current moment, there is this sense of, man, everything is kind of reverting back to like some zany, like anti-vax, you know anti-government type of mindset but i think because we are actually picking up subconsciously on the fact we're being screwed over and all we're trying to do is attach some sort of level of thinking to like well you know it must be the microchips and the vaccines but really it's our subconscious picking up on the fact that you know our environment's going to shit that our infrastructure's crap that we're saddled with student debt that you know healthcare is inaccessible so you kind of have to like start generating a sense of like, well, there's somebody up top trying to manipulate factors to make these things happen. I think it's a natural recurring thing. And maybe in times of instability and chaos is when we start reverting back to these behaviors of myself and my immediate tribe were the victims of some sort of cabal, some sort of uh, underlying principle and thinking that's happening. And therefore, to survive, we have to be hypervigilant back to you know the twig snapping in the forest yeah and the yeah. way we survive is by engaging in this like cyclical thinking of like ah shit they're putting microchips in the covid vaccines because they're going to control us but really we are being controlled already to a certain extent all this is is, is, a, is a manifestation of that behavior yeah no it's interesting i was just thinking about what you were saying 
Um, and I just wonder if the if the level of inequality in a society, I just wonder if that's correlated to the amount of conspiratorial thinking. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see like maybe countries with heavier emphasis on like social safety nets. Like what's the most spicy like Swedish conspiracy? Th- well, actually, no, I mean, they fucking killed the Swedish prime minister. Olaf Palme got gunned down in the middle of the street and like the... 80s yeah but i mean i don't know if that's like one guy or or like how that doesn't necessarily say that the society um there's a prevalence of conspiratorial thought within the society i mean yeah we have i think we are kind of in a unique place where QAnon isn't i mean it's a fringe belief structure but there's like enough people like you probably know somebody oh you fucking do know somebody i I know (laughs) (laughs) yeah but i mean like everybody probably has met either somebody who subscribes to QAnon or a flat earther i mean yeah it does seem like it is something i don't want to say uniquely american but maybe it is yeah we're quite unique aren't we yeah so okay so what do we what do we do about (laughs) um this sort of conspiratorial mindset that is so prevalent in the united states and elsewhere we feed it baby we, we keep, feeding, <laughs> keep feeding social it. media algorithms just love that shit you they gotta just make you gotta make up. that money man i gotta get my QAnon merch out there <laughs> gotta get q asmr gotta get those youtube views uh i i think that the first answer that everybody would probably come to is that we have to you know we have to stay educated we have to improve education we have to teach critical thinking skills um but then maybe that's just going to result in more conspiracy theorists. More like elaborate. <laughs> yeah. It's like you move on yeah. from like, I mean, objectively QAnon is kind of lame. I mean, again, <laughs> you graduate from QAnon conspiracy school. Yeah. To something. Yeah. Right. An Ivy league version of it. I, I think that mm-hmm. the best way to combat conspiracy theories, at least like settling in is like a, a major like cultural force. I think transparency is key. Right. And there are elements of our government that are transparent. We have the inspector general offices that put out reports. We have the government accountability office. Like all that information is out there. I think it's emphasizing that there is like a level of transparency to how the government behaves and really like pushing this information out there for people to consume. Yeah, you know, that's interesting because I'm thinking like, okay, let's compare like the level of transparency in the U.S. government versus like in during the Aztec empire. (laughs) <laughs> like, I feel like we have way more transparency yeah. now, but there seems to be way more <laughs> conspiratorial thought, I mean, you know, against the government. Yeah. So I just, I just wonder because, yeah, I mean, how much is transparency going to do here? Do you think that conspiracy theories are a product of a free and an open society? I mean, the fact that we're not being well, killed on the street for our okay. beliefs. Maybe the better question is like, are they exaggerated in such a society? Um yeah, I mean, I you know, if an authoritarian leader isn't clamping down uh, on such ideas, then that that's entirely possible. That right. could be that could be the case. I don't know though. Right, it's hard to figure that out. I mean, I'm sure there's like some QAnon theorists that existed in trying to find a dictatorship, but I can't think of one off the top of my head. North Korea. What's the spiciest North Korean conspiracy theory? I think they have some conspiracies about the U.S. government. A lot of, I mean, yeah, yeah they do, but... I mean, but that's all propagated by the state. But the U.S. government also, like, bombed North Korea to shit during the Korean War. I mean... Eh. Yeah, so it's, there's a grain of truth in everything. Every conspiracy theory is a grain <laughs> of truth. Okay, so uh, let's talk about uh, engaging with conspiracies. That's, that's an interesting point. Um, should you be engaging with conspiracy theorists is also a question. My my opinion is like, man, I think we should be, and and this is, I think in general, like, in the U.S. in particular, uh, but overall, like, as human beings, I think we should be engaging with people with different opinions, right? Uh, I I think, you know, the idea that we can't talk about politics and religion at work, I mean, obviously, like, some people are lost causes, <laughs> and some work environments are very toxic. I'm not saying it's all, you know fun and games everywhere but i think we could do with a lot more of that because we need exposure to different ideas mm-hmm. we need exposure to just thinking and challenging our own views and you're not going to get that unless you have opposing viewpoints presented to you right 
So I, I think that's one. It's actually engage with some of these people because, you know, this thing can spiral out of control, right? Especially if someone is in their infancy of conspiratorial thought. Uh, like someone like a like a baby QAnon supporter, you know? <laughs> like QAnon Junior. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it's better to engage them early on than than later when they're really invested, right? And you know, you have this whole sunk cost fallacy thing going on. <laughs> um, now, when you're engaging with them, I think it's very important to to not belittle people, um, to like be as respectful as possible. I mean, that's just basic conversational intelligence. Um, and then another way. I, I, to engage them, I think that that could be very helpful is simply by asking them questions, sort of like a Soc Socratic method uh, of engaging with them and just let them twist themselves into a pretzel because almost certainly their views are internally inconsistent. Uh, they make all sorts of implausible assumptions. Uh, and, and you can even show them that, hey, like some of their skepticism, they never apply to anything else. No other facet of life do they mm -hmm. apply this level of skepticism. Or unless they do. And then unless they do. And then, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, s some personality traits are just w much more predisposed to conspiratorial thought. People that are disagreeable, people uh, that are actually have a lot of um, there's a certain kind of anxiety uh, that can lead to that Machiavellianism. Mm -hmm. um, these sort of traits, narcissism, they actually contribute to the likelihood of conspiratorial thought. I think that one of the biggest issues that we do kind of face down is the fact that conspiracy theorist is now, it's kind of a, a pejorative label that's attached to maybe certain viewpoints that is almost used as a point of dismissal, where... If, yeah, somebody is saying something you don't agree with, you could just dismiss them as a conspiracy theorist. And that has enough of like a dog whistle effect, given our current. Like, is that what kind of happened with the COVID origins? You know, whether it, you know, it was made in a lab versus a, a bat. COVID origins. Or, but, you know, even if you think about things like, you know, the, the varying like various conflicts and wars we've had since the war on terror, where. A lot of people who questioned the invasion of Iraq were kind of dismissed as quacky or, or dismissed as like Saddam Hussein supporters. But then lo and behold, it actually turns out, yeah, there were no WMDs and what the hell do we go in for? And it's almost kind of, uh, there's this, this trope of in the post kind of Donald Trump era where it almost seems like any questioning of, oh my, I want to say it. Like the liberal doctrine <laughs> is seen as like, oh yeah, you're just you're you're you know you're spreading QAnon conspiracies or you're just spreading like Russian disinformation, and that gets in the way of what you're actually describing of like constructive conversation around things. But it's almost like because of the prevalence of conspiracy theories in a lot of our conversations, it's so easy to smear somebody as a conspiracy theorist. In fact, which you can just use as a cudgel to get rid of people you don't want to engage. Sure. With. Um, which I think those are two separate issues, right? I think somebody talking about, you know, the government's uh, involvement in defunding healthcare organizations in rural America is separate from somebody claiming that John F. Kennedy Jr. is going to parachute down into Dallas, Texas to, to restore American democracy. Which I agree with your point to a certain extent. I'm actually of the mindset that it's probably better not to engage Let's call them the more like radical conspiracy theories, mostly because I think it's never going to it's not going to be a productive conversation where I'm going to use the example of an interaction I had with a flat earther where I'm not equipped on it. I'm like a, my, on my average day. I'm usually not coming in with like hard facts. I could spit on the curvature of the earth, right? Flat earthers probably are and in an instance when i ended up getting caught in a conversation with the flat earther i wasn't really able to defend my position because a lot of my understanding is grounded in the fact oh, well you know the earth is it's a sphere but the flat earther is saying no and they have all this evidence with them ready just right. in case to, to destroy my argument so in essence you're going to kind of just validate their viewpoints unless you're coming in like equipped to defend every single position that you seem to be taking which Nine times out of ten, if you're taking something as scientific consensus, you're probably not going to be like 
very well read on the curvature of the earth and you know how the light falls versus things like that yeah no that's a that's a fair point maybe the scientific community should be coming out with like I don't know, some, some papers or, or articles, you know, addressing like the top conspiracies of the day. That would be interesting. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you should be, if you're going to engage with a conspiracist on a certain topic, you should have some requisite knowledge, right. To actually engage in the debate properly. Um, but there are, I mean, there are conspiracies that are kind of damaging. I think, um, I think a lot of the conspiracies surrounding the COVID vaccines were damaging. And I think, there's a lot of people who really took interest in immunology and virology. Some people thought they were complete experts, obviously, and they were delusional. But um, I think, you know, people that were kind of keeping tabs on on some of the science probably know enough to get into some sort of discussion with, with someone. I mean, uh, I don't know, to, to help kind of combat that. Because if you don't do it, like, these, like they'll continue to just grow in their bubble right and and that's not good either so i mean as a society maybe you know and as individuals we have to take some responsibility for the for for the beliefs that are circulating in our in our societies like we just we have to take some responsibility because there's no like who's going to do the cleanup work well i I think we start rubbing it up against the uncomfortable realization that in in a free-thinking society you have to allow for this level of thought even if it is ultimately damaging to certain group of people i mean objectively speaking with i think the vaccines hold hold on though it's it's not about allowing like people should have the ability to say what they want yes well they should have the ability to think what they want to say and think what they want but if if we think like if, if people that are, let's say more in line with the scientific consensus, they, they want to have a more, if you value like having a more rational society, one that is more based on evidence and logic, um, you need to do something about that. that it, it doesn't just happen by itself. Right. So but it, but, is, but hang on. It isn't this notion of the scientific consensus is kind of a paradox, isn't it? Because the notion of scientific thought and reasoning is to cons- co- co- constantly and consistently question all assumptions and, and sure, theories but this doesn't preclude doing that i mean I, i'm talking about people that are generally more in line with scientific thought or trust the scientific pro well, maybe we, we can say people that trust the scientific process more than uh a, a random google search and what q happens to throw up on 4chan mm-hmm. right like that's it i mean there's there's yeah you don't you don't want to get into the to the habit of thinking like you're destined to be right. You're always right just because like you're with the scientific consensus, but trusting in the process is probably the most important thing. But I think that's exactly what the, like what, what's happening is it's almost become like a, a level of like a virtue signal. Like, ah, yes, I am with the science. Therefore I well, am. There is some virtue. In it, well, I mean, but it's a hundred percent what right. it is. And I think that's kind of, but it's not maybe all, it's, but it's fall- not all a sick- it's falling into this polarization of, of the of the i don't even know if they're two sides they're they're kind of like i can't even name you what like what liberals versus what i don't know um but what's kind of happening is that there is a sense of almost underlying superiority where like i am the one that is with the science you are the one that is with the q therefore my position is i mean i i think this is why it's very difficult to have these conversations within the context of where we're at politically speaking now, because yeah, indeed, this is a totally rational thing to do. You would sit down with somebody and you'd talk through a viewpoint and you'd come to some sort of understanding, ideally in a vacuum. Yes. But I think we're kind of at a level of hysteria now where the more you're going to be confronted with somebody else's views, the more you're going to become entrenched in your own respective position. So I have a suspicion that if you are indeed like proving a flat earther wrong, they're just going to become more and more vigorously like flat earth committed. Well, maybe some percentage will, but maybe a, a small percentage won't. Maybe they will change their minds. I mean, I've changed my mind before on, on certain topics. But I also think that's like a pretty rare capacity for, unfortunately it is. <laughs> it is. No, I, I do agree with you. And, and I, and I get the thing about the virtue signaling. I, mean, I think people that do it in bad faith to yeah. kind of show superiority or some, moral virtue moral high ground. like i think yeah i think that's disgusting that's counterproductive like we don't actually want that we want people to argue in good faith always and that's what i'm referring to 
Um, but obviously, like what you said does exist. And and speaking of what does exist, conspiracy theories are always going to exist, yes. right? Yeah, it's going to keep life interesting. It's going to keep things fresh. It's going to keep uh, the History Channel have... Uh, it's going to keep the, the ratings up, right? I mean, I I feel like History Channel probably isn't long for this world, but <laughs> yeah, I got to keep those... No, ancient aliens, baby. That's so, so how about the future of conspiracy theories? What are we looking at here, especially given the... The rise of the internet and the technology, the metaverse, (laughs) conspiracy theories will move to the metaverse. Oh, geez. Yeah. That's going to be amazing. Yeah. I mean, I I, I think that, um, you know, the, the literature you cited was very good in that it illustrated the fact conspiracy theories existed back to the days of like like primal hunter gatherer societies. I think everything we're witnessing now is nothing unique or new, and it's just going to continue on this path. We're never going to be able to eliminate beliefs that, you know, there is a ghost manipulating the president of the United States or whatever, because that's just an element of the human condition. We're going to have these thoughts and we're going to have groups of people that band together because of their shared thoughts and reasoning. My, my only concern, though, is as you as the gap between the ancestral environment and the modern environment continues to grow, and it will because the pace of technological change is clearly going to far outstrip the, the pace of evolutionary change, which is, you know, relatively speaking, it's, it's not changing, right? right? It's not changing over a hundred, couple of hundred years. So um, it, my concern is as this gap, as this mismatch between the environments, where we adapted and the new environments that are evolving so rapidly as this gap continues to grow are the how do i put it are these conspiracies and these sort of um tendencies that we have that don't work so well in the in the newer environments are they going to become more and more destructive Mm -hmm. that's my concern i mean what do you think about that i think that I don't know how much of a role things like QAnon actually have in, in shaping, you know, politics, for instance. I think maybe there is a tendency to overamplify like the impact of these sorts of thought processes. I think, you know, social media has definitely made it this kind of information more accessible. I mean, I, I one of my like guilty pleasures is reading conspiracy theory for the, the subreddit, I guess. Maybe not. I don't go on the forums. Those are kind of scary. Um, I think that it's just, I mean, I I don't, I don't really see this becoming like a, like a massive problem in in the, in the future. I think we're just going to have varying levels of influence of of conspiratorial thinking, but I mean, it's going to be the classics, baby. It's always going to be Kennedy. It's going to be Kennedy, MK ultra, maybe a little bit of, uh, Justin Trudeau is Fidel Castro's son. (laughs) <laughs> everything else is gonna i mean look at the photos it's a good one <laughs> i mean look at the photos that's all i'm saying i i and others are gonna fizzle out come and go and whatnot um i mean my main concern though is like seeing what happened in the pandemic and and seeing what could happen in in a worse pandemic or a worse kind of situation but objectively we we got i mean we're still in the pandemic right now but we did fairly well and again, yeah, there was like dissent and like, you know, zany voices of opposition. But objectively speaking, it didn't really get in the way at the end of the day of, you know, an effective vaccination program. And the people that aren't vaccinated, I mean, it's a personal choice and everybody can live with that. Um, and yeah, you know, to your point about a more serious, you know, if we were on like an Ebola tier virus that was spreading as fast as COVID. Okay, yeah, that would be. A different conversation but i also imagine the response would be a little bit different too i think at that point yeah like the gloves would come off and you'd have like mandatory back you know that's when like the conspiracy theory like fantasy would come into reality it's like oh yeah baby <laughs> like come knock down my door yeah what a day that would be what a day that would be well a great first recorded episode of radius of reason uh video recorded video recorded video recorded. um a small technical glitch, but hopefully we've fixed that. Um, yeah, so if you aren't following us or subscribe to us on YouTube, please definitely make sure to do so. Uh, we will be 
all video moving forward. Well, hopefully. Um, hopefully. Hopefully. Maybe minus the occasional episode, but um, yeah, thanks everybody for listening, and uh, we will be back soon with another episode of Radius of Reason. Stay safe out there.